Hello, and welcome to The Scott Mize Show, a podcast focused on health, diet, bodybuilding, and philosophy. I interview experts, doctors, coaches, and N equals one case studies to answer your questions about improving health, achieving your best physique, and making sustainable progress. We'll cover topics from carnivore and ketogenic diets, to bodybuilding, to life philosophy, and everything in between. Enjoy the show. This episode is brought to you by LMNT Electrolytes. This month, we're switching it up with an exclusive offer that's only for VIP LMNT partners, including Carnivore Cast listeners. You can now receive this free sample pack along with any regular purchase when you use my custom link, which is provided in the show notes or my Instagram link in bio. That's drinklmnt.com forward slash carnivorecast, all one word. And as I said, I'll include the link in the show notes. LMNT electrolytes are convenient, evidence-based, and delicious. And get yours today to help support the show. Thank you. Coach DJ Matson at Coach DJ Vanilla Face on TikTok and Instagram is a Marine Corps veteran, published author, health coach, and keynote speaker. She's returned to school for pharmacology and provides free community nutrition education as a master's wellness volunteer via AgriLife. In her free time, she works with older adult demographics, providing nonprofit fall prevention courses. Really cool. Um, her specialties are safer use protocols for performance enhancing drugs and hypertrophy optimization. She works with lifestyle clients, NPC and IBB bodybuilders, and Natural Federation physique and endurance competitors. Coach DJ has some fantastic free content on her TikTok and interviews with Dr. Todd Lee and Kurt Hayden's YouTube channels, diving deep on various bodybuilding topics. Welcome to the show, DJ. Thank you for having me. Yeah. Um, so I'd love to just learn a little bit more, um, at least for the audience, about your story. Um, what got you like coming out of the Marine Corps interested in bodybuilding and pharmacology and coaching? I actually went the complete opposite direction when I got out of the Marine Corps, um, went, got a bunch of tattoos, quit working out. There was no one telling me I had to. Um, And then I had my first pregnancy, which was an absolute disaster because I was not healthy, because I was not in shape. So like so many women, my postpartum journey kind of put me on that trajectory. Um, That's when I really kind of rediscovered fitness, but in a whole different capacity, Um, And then in terms of bodybuilding, I didn't actually have any interest in bodybuilding to begin with. It was my husband um, and dealing with with some of his challenges and his hurdles, especially with the deployment of PEDs. That's really where my my interest started to grow. And I started to kind of dive into the performance enhancement side of things just to help keep him safe, basically. Yeah. Interesting. Do you um, coach women through pregnancy as well? I feel like that's an area similar to PEDs and TRT where there's a lot of nonsense um, and it's, a lot of good use help from someone like yourself. It, it is it is kind of a gray area. So I usually like to work with women that that first part of maybe maybe first six to eight weeks. And then I will ask them, we'll do their workouts, but I really don't, I try not to do nutrition during pregnancy just because you have so many food aversions, you end up with cravings. So, and following a structured plan, I think it's very important to listen to your body, unless you maybe have struggled with food relationships in the past and you're hesitant to eat. I try and kind of leave that middle ground where they can just do what they want. And then we pick up nutrition again, usually about three to four weeks before their anticipated due dates, help prepare for fat loss phase and breastfeeding. Cool. Cool. Yeah. That makes a ton of sense. Really interesting. I, I just thought of that. Um, 
I don't have kids yet, but uh, maybe in a couple of years. So it's- I couldn't eat my first trimester with either of my children. So wow. I would have just been lighting money on fire with nutrition programming yeah. at that point. Oh, wow. That's tough. Um, super interesting. Um, so one thing, uh, you talk a lot about testosterone replacement therapy. Um, and I wanted to start by just addressing like a lot of people who aren't in our space, especially earning your space, earning the bodybuilding space in popular fitness media, consider TRT like cheating. They're like, oh, but are you on TRT? Oh, oh, did you do it with TRT? Why do you think TRT is considered cheating in, in popular fitness media? So this is going to come off as really unpopular, especially given my industry, but it is. So, and this naturally, naturally, if you're hypogonadal and you have those deficiencies, yeah. it is what it is. You, you are simply lagging testosterone, but yeah. when you provide, and let's, let's, you know, use true blue testosterone replacement therapy as an example, not what some of the clinics are doing where your levels are really high, but you're maybe 600, 700 nanograms per deciliter total testosterone with the use of TRT. If you go through a diet phase, like you're, you're dieting right now, um, yeah. you're going to experience hormonal downregulations. That's your body's natural response mechanism. You're going to see a reduction in testosterone. Even with a female on HRT, you'll see a reduction in progesterone. When you have HRT as a tool, you are essentially not subject to those downregulations and you can adjust accordingly. So you always have an advantage over other athletes and people that don't have exogenous hormone therapy. So that's why so many natural federations, whether it be bodybuilding or another type of sport, do not allow HRT even with exemptions, because you will always have an advantage over those that are experiencing those down regulations. Right. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. It keeps your levels consistent. Um, yeah. I, I personally, I, I started TRT seven years ago. Um, and my levels were consistently hundred nanograms per deciliter. Um, oh my gosh. How'd you get out of bed in the morning? <laughs> yeah. I was like working out, eating healthy, high protein, sleeping as well as I could. Um, you know, endocrinologists were kind of mystified. Um, I never got checked for a pituitary adenoma, but yeah, it was, it was rough. Um, and I, I, I was tested for a year consistently before starting TRT. Um, and it made a huge difference for me. Yeah, it's it's life changing for for males that actually need it. Actually, yeah. those those that don't as well, just enhancing yeah. the levels is life changing. Yeah, yeah. My my dad's um, seventy four, and I'm trying to get him to do it, even though his levels are normal. I'm like, Dad, this would help you so much with like your arthritis, your joint issues. But yeah, we'll see. Um, and how do you? What do you think about a framework for like the smart way to do TRT? I am really thankful that we have more people on the social media space that are talking about safer use protocols. I'm thankful that we have a lot of these clinics that are providing affordable services via telemed to those that maybe wouldn't ordinarily have access to it. But I think the fact that it has become so mainstream has definitely opened up the door for people to utilize underground products that may be questionable, maybe not receive the lab work on it. So it's it's both good and bad. There's definitely pros and cons. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So like starting someone out who, who hasn't started TRT before, what would your advice to them be like how to find a good doctor, what type of protocol makes sense or like what, if they hear certain things from their doctor, should they raise an eyebrow at? 
The biggest thing that I tell people is that primary care physicians, for the most part, do not specialize in any type of sex hormone replacement. That's just simply not what they do. Um, if you're not comfortable with what your doctor is saying, if you have questions, seek uh, advice elsewhere, ask for a referral. I always tell men, unfortunately, unless you ha are truly hypogonadal and they're trying to diagnose if it's you know secondary or primary and they're trying to find underlying causes, an endocrinologist isn't typically going to be your best bet for standard TRT. They have their plates full with a lot of things. I actually really tend to fall in line with what I see coming from urologists in terms of TRT as well as the clinics. But then you're kind of doing that juggling act of, are they really going to listen to your biofeedback and allow that enhanced level of testosterone, maybe beyond 600, 700 nanograms per deciliter? Um, or are you going to be going to a clinic that says, oh, well, we don't accept insurance. I get paid on a commission as a patient care advocate. So here's eight products that I can sell you. And it's going to be $7,000 every three months. So it is a balancing act and you, you have to be your own advocate. You have to listen to your own biofeedback. And I tell anyone starting testosterone, whether they need it or they want it for enhancement purposes, it will not make up for poor lifestyle choices. Yep. If you want to lose weight, you got to be in a calorie deficit. If you're really tired, it's not always the testosterone. It could be the fact that you get four hours of sleep a night and you're not taking rest days. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. That's great advice. Carnivore and ketogenic diets can be an excellent way to combat diseases we commonly associate with aging and degeneration in the modern world. But if you're like me, you want to do everything possible to stay in your prime physically and mentally as long as you can, especially with me thinking about starting a family. I really value the most research-backed ingredients and science for bettering the aging process. Today's sponsor is Neurohacker, which packs seven of the most science-backed senolytic ingredients into one formula called Qualia Senolytic. And you can take it just two days a month for fast and noticeable benefits and for a much better aging process. I've been taking Qualia Senolytic for the last month and I've already noticed a big improvement in my physical and mental energy for my family and friends and my productivity has improved. I feel invigorated, I feel enthusiastic and ready to get things done. It's also backed by a hundred day money back guarantee. So that means you can try it for almost three full months and if you don't like it, there's no risk. You can decide for yourself. If you're in your late 20s or older, adding Qualia Senolytic to your diet can play a crucial role in combating negative aging symptoms. Go to neurohacker.com Scott for up to 50% off Qualia Senolytic. And as a listener of the show, you can use code Scott at checkout for an extra 15% off your first purchase. Again, it's risk-free. Just go to neurohacker.com slash Scott to try Qualia Analytic with code Scott and start aging on your own terms. Thanks and back to the show. I actually started with urologists, um, famous urologists who kind of wrote a lot of the early books on testosterone named Abraham Morgenthaler. Um, he's out of uh, Boston area. Um, and I was frankly, he's very smart, but I was very fed up with like the way the practice worked because like you had to make an appointment just to get blood work, to hear your blood work is a separate appointment. Um, like, oh, and, wow. Yeah. Like, like they wouldn't give you your blood work or, or tell you your blood work over the phone. It was like, yep, you have to make another appointment, come pay for the appointment to get your blood work told to you. Like, it was just like a lot of 
hoops to jump through. Mm-hmm. Um, and then they started me on like way too much. It was like 1500. I use an HCG a week, um, plus a lot of testosterone. And I just like gained 30 pounds of water in the first four weeks. Oh, uh, wow. Yeah. And so it, it was not a great experience. So I ended up working with a telemedicine when I called Defy Medical out of Florida. Um, and I've been very happy with like the providers and all the staff there. Um, and it's just way easier um, <laughs> to be able to call, like they send mm-hmm. your blood work to you right away. Um, it's, it's, a, it's all out of pocket, like you said. Um, and to a certain extent, yes, they are paid to try to push products on you. They're always like, check out these new peptides we have. <laughs> but um, yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's hard. It's really hard for men to get testosterone safely and from someone smart. I will say that the telemed clinics are always really good about follow-up lab work. Again, it is an opportunity to capitalize on potential sales, but so many people will start testosterone and then they don't go get those follow-up labs. They have no idea where their estrogen is at. They don't know if they reach target serum levels. So I will say in in the industry, the online telemed clinics are fantastic about the follow-up labs. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. What do you think some of the biggest conceptions are in social media around TRT? Like, I'm sure you see it all on TikTok and Instagram and people messaging you. Oh, that is, I think that the biggest thing is there seems to be a lot of debate on what the differences are between testosterone replacement therapy versus just cycling or using testosterone for enhancement. And because that seems to be such a gray area, it creates a communication problem with, with myself and other people. Um, I have males that are not hypogonadal and they have been prescribed 400 milligrams per week from a clinic. They're also wow. utilizing maybe DECA and Anavar along with peptides and Cialis. So we end up with a, we start venturing into polypharmacy essentially with, with these and they are livid if you refer to it as performance enhancement. Wow. And I'm like, well, your levels are over 2000 nanograms per deciliter. Yeah. So this, this is performance enhancement, but because it's legally prescribed, they categorize it as, as TRT. And then those that maybe aren't trying to use this for enhancement that aren't even in the gym and are just trying to get out of bed in the morning are really upset to see these, these other males saying like, this is my TRT protocol at the end of yeah. the day. I don't think you're matters. I'm pro PED. Um, you do what you do to feel, feel your best. That's the most important thing, as long as your health isn't compromised, but that creates a lot of communication issues on the space. And a lot of things get lost in translation, especially when people are seeking advice. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And, um, one thing that I've seen pop up more and more recently, and you did a a video with Kurt on this, um, is people trying to push enclomiphene um, for TRT. Can you talk about like why you think that's happening and what some of the pitfalls of of trying to use Clomid are? So I will, I'll be totally transparent with you. My opinion will likely change. I think there is so much promise for the use of enclomiphene in lieu of testosterone. However, we really don't have a lot of data 
on long-term use of enclomethine, it's being used off-label. And the workaround is that clomid or clomethine citrate is actually an FDA-approved compound, but there's two stereoisomers. It's made of enclomethine and zuclomethine. So you tend to get a little bit more estrogenic effects with the actual clomid product. And again, we we see weird side effects with with serms and and clomid eye floaters and vision issues. It's also a reduction in IGF-1. So enclomethine works a little bit differently. Um, It's supposed to increase, obviously, LH and FSH works primarily on LH, but uh, we're seeing it prescribed independently as monotherapy in lieu of TRT. And we're also seeing it prescribed in lieu of HCG with testosterone to prevent suppression. Again, we know and understand HCG so much better than we do in clomiphene. Um, I also like it for young males that maybe are truly hypogonadal and they do need their levels improved, but we know for a fact that they're young and they have future fertility needs and suppression is a concern. My, my biggest drawback is that people are abusing it and trying to use it as a base like testosterone. That is not sufficient to run an oral only stack. And that's kind of the framework that's being set up, which it obviously shouldn't be that way. Um, the other issue with enclomiphene is that again, the long-term data is just missing. We, we really don't know with the long-term effects and there is going to be some limitations. Uh, you don't quite get the same stability. It's still going to be a long-term commitment because as soon as you come off, your levels are going to return to normal. Um, there's, there's definitely going to be limitations because it is your endogenous production. Got it. Did it suppress your HBTA where testosterone does? No. And that's the the biggest uh, appeal to the use of enclomiphene. And that's why I, I really feel like this could be um, a huge advancement for young males. Interesting. But I just don't think we have enough data on it. But I feel that way about a lot of different compounds that we are handing out like candy as well. So... What's the difference between clomid and enclomiphene? So clomid uh, has two different stereoisomers. So clomiphene is, or enclomiphene is one of them. And okay. then the other one is going to be zuclomiphene. So you tend to not get as many estrogenic effects when you separate them and just utilize the enclomiphene independently. And, and in theory, you can actually cycle it. Sometimes it'll be an every other day or every two day administration to kind of free up those estrogen receptors to allow the body to perform natural estrogenic pathway functions. But I've seen it prescribed all over the map. And that's the thing. We don't have a standard. I have seen crazy different protocols where you wouldn't even think this was the same drug because the dosages and wow. protocols are so different. Wow. And are they both oral? Yes. And that's, that's the big draw. And yeah. for even users that are currently on testosterone and it can get your levels into super physiological ranges. I oh, see wow. 1500 plus. Yeah. Interesting. And would, would it work um, not as well for someone who's already been on TRT for a long time because you're trying to stimulate LH and FSH? And- I haven't seen anyone cut that's been on TRT for a long period of time. I think that there's definitely the potential where you wouldn't get the most out of it, depending on how much suppression has already occurred. But realistically, unless we've seen really, really heavy abuse, again, another unpopular one, most people can recover from testosterone use. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Um, when I first started, um, they gave me the option of just using Clomid um, to start. And I was like, no, I, I know I'm going to be on testosterone long-term. Like, this is my life decision. I'm just going to go for like the tried and true thing. Um, but yeah. What was I, your I, biggest drawback with Clomid? Um, I, like you said, there just wasn't like enough research on it. There wasn't enough standardization. 
I think I also just didn't know as much about it as I knew about testosterone. Um, I had read a lot of the work of Nelson Virgil. Um, mm-hmm. He's written a lot of, he wrote, um, he's written a lot of great books about TRT. He runs a forum called excelmail.com, which has like excellent science-based information for men on testosterone. Um, he has a fascinating story too. He, he was, uh, he had AIDS and he overcame it and survived with testosterone. Um, and he, he just helps thousands of men. And, um, he, he was very pro testosterone, anti, um, enclomethine, um, and clomid. Uh, I don't even know if enclomethine was well talked about at the time. Um, but yeah, that kind of convinced me to, to focus on testosterone. Everyone thinks I hate enclomethine and it's, it's yeah. not that I hate it. I hate that people yes. think it's the same thing as testosterone and then they stack it with other orals. You yeah. want to take all the steroids, but you're not going to use an injection and you will still suffer suppression. Yeah. I can't imagine a worse thing than trying to take Anivar or Anadrol with yeah. enclomethine as a, as a base, but that's what we are seeing. So it's, it's a slippery slope for sure. Yeah. It, it's, it's interesting. I help um, a lot of men reach out to me who are starting TRT for the first time. Um, and a lot of them are on gels or pills or pellets. And I really try to encourage them to get to injections um, because it's been shown to be the safest and the most stable um, if, if they can. And I also try to get them to daily shots um, or at least multiple times a week. And they're like, oh, I can't imagine doing this more than once a week. It's so painful. I'm like, what are you using? They're like, well, I have these 21 gauge needles. He's in harpoons. <laughs> yeah. No, 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 no. Don't do that. Like, this is going to be a lot easier for you. Also, like that thing that happened to me at the beginning with the water, I think a lot of it was because um, I was doing like once a week um, injections. And I also, one thing I, I'm curious to hear your take on this too. I think there may be room for men who are starting TRT for the first time to start at even below a replacement dose for like the first two to four weeks, because you still have some endogenous production. And so if you have a replacement dose on top of your endogenous production, it's just going to shoot you super physiological Mm -hmm. and your estrogen is going to go crazy. So I, I almost tell men, they're like, my dose from the doctor is 120 milligrams a week. I'm like, start with 80 for like three or four weeks and then go up to 120. Um, and, and you might have a lot less side effects to start. I don't know what you think. No, that's, that's a really valid point. And like, when we look at the data and we have certain studies where we're examining maybe some of the conversion rates, uh, once you begin testosterone, a lot of those in order to actually see what's going on, will cease endogenous production before they begin the testosterone administration. So absolutely. And I think especially as a new user, you might not know what to look out for in terms of certain conversion risks or the estrogenic side effects. And then of course, if you are not at a great body composition starting out with, you're even less likely to notice those effects. And I don't think necessary doctors really are afforded the luxury of time to sit and run through the, the plethora of, you know, potential side effects that can occur and what to watch out for. So that would be a, in my my eyes would be definitely a feasible approach. Yeah. Um, what do you think social media and TikTok have done for young men using steroids? Like, what do you think the biggest dangers are? 
pluses and minuses, I guess. I'm part of the problem. So, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, unfortunately, I think, I think it comes off as very promotional and depending on what you're drawn to, you know, there's, there's people out there. I try and talk about safer use protocols with anabolic steroids. Um, there's other people out there that are talking about the best ways to stack your SARMs. So, you know, you can't really allow someone like myself or Kurt or Todd to be on the internet speaking about these things and then eliminate those that are talking about SARMs or encouraging the use of Deanabol for a beginner or telling everyone to take trend. It's largely glorified, especially now that bodybuilding specifically is very trendy. With that comes the glorification of performance enhancing drugs. Um, even on the HRT side of things for males and females, I feel like uh, it's almost encouraging a lot of younger groups that maybe don't need to consider that yet to reach out and start pulling hormone panels. And then of course, without correct interpretation, there's a lot of uh, room for error there, but it, it comes off as promotional. And so I do what I can. I didn't really start getting on social media with this until last year. Um, I'm definitely contributing to the problem, but that's why I try and be careful with the content that I put out. People say I'm mean sometimes, but I have strong opinions. And at the end of the day, it's subjective. That's why you find hormones are subjective and very dependent on your biofeedback and genetics and tolerance thresholds. Yeah. So that leaves a lot of room for error. Yeah. For the record, I don't think you're part of the problem compared to people doing like a three-day <laughs> trend challenge or whatever. Thank <laughs> you. <laughs> um, do you think it's it's um, also an issue of like causing guys to consider it younger and younger? Like I, I see absolutely. Yes, and they and it's it's one of those really hard things because they look at these young bodybuilders. You know, we have twenty two year old IFBB pros now, and they're yeah. they're looking. Well, clearly they've been on anabolics for a while. And what are you going to do as a professional? Argue that you're going to try and tell someone that that twenty two yeah. year old on the Olympia stage is is natural? I mean, of course not. So it's it's hard, and I think that's why it is important to kind of seek someone out for a little bit of guidance. Like I do have younger guys that are competitors that are using, and although it's something I try and discourage and put off, you know, if you have someone that meets the candidacy profile, you have to start making those considerations with with sperm yep. banks, and if you're going to be using HCG or Kispeptin, like there's there has to be those extra considerations. Because I'm telling you, at 19, nobody's thinking about kids. I wasn't. Yeah, I I banked I froze sperm before I started TRT and I'm, I'm grateful that I did. Um, but I, I've learned only recently that uh, you know, however many vials they froze may very well not be enough. <laughs> um, because that's something they don't at least when I did it, they don't really tell you like how much you need to freeze. But luckily you're with a clinic now. And again, with the the you know prevalence of these clinics, there's now very affordable quick options for fertility protocols. I think I'll be all right. <laughs> I think we'll be all right. But um, yeah, I thought I was like a genius freezing sperm and then later learned, like, oh, I only not enough. <laughs> oh, uh, that might not do it, you know? Um, so that's something to be aware of as well. Um, what does a safer approach to PD use mean um, in your mind? 
to me, I think it's monitoring your your health markers and minimizing risks or assessing what risks would be appropriate for your life. Uh, the biggest thing is, is lab work and checking blood pressure. Health markers are key. You might genetically get away with running an incredible amount of anabolics. You yeah. may be restricted to TRT depending on your response. And again, lifestyle factors, supportive supplements, there's a lot that goes into that, but it really boils down to can you maintain your health and what do we need to do to maintain your health? And in terms of risk management, you know, if you are a casual gym goer, you go three or four times a week, you're looking for a little edge, you want to feel better, their tolerance threshold and the risks that they take are going to look a lot different than somebody that's a professional. They put If you put dinner on the table and you pay for your life with your physique, and that is your job, obviously you're going to take some higher risks if you're yeah. building a career off of that. So I always tell people, like, let's kind of assess where you're at, where you have the potential of going before you decide, hey, I'm going to take a neurotoxic compound that, you know, we don't have a lot of data on. If something's never been used in humans, there's always a risk. Even with tried and true legal compounds, there's always going to be an inherent risk. And that's what really needs to be communicated. Yeah. Yeah. I totally agree with all of that. And I'm really glad you mentioned, you said uh, blood work and blood pressure in the same breath. Um, cause one thing I've seen a lot is all of these, um, pro bodybuilders and like channels, um, like big bodybuilding podcast channels being like, make sure you're getting your blood work done, make sure you're getting your blood work done. Um, but I almost feel like there's also a trend to dismiss a lot of blood values when you're on PEDs. Like they're like, oh, your HDL doesn't matter because that's going to be suppressed when you're on PEDs oh, hematocrit, it doesn't really matter because we know it's going to be elevated when you're on PDs. Creatinine, uh, that's always going to be elevated when you're working out. Like your liver values, other than GGT, yeah, those are going to be. So at the end of the day, like which blood markers actually matter? Because it feels like more than half of them are being dismissed. And then they never talk about blood pressure, which I think is almost more important um, to be checking regularly. I think all of them matter. Again, unpopular opinion. The yeah. only thing that I will really maybe look over would be some ele- like a slight elevation in your RBC. That's really just because of increased EPO production. You wouldn't treat that or assess. It'd be no different than somebody living at a high altitude. So that is something that I would you know have some leeway with. But uh, a lot of it depends on the lab setup. And I know Dr. Lee talks about this a lot as well. So when we have a lot of these markers, I think sometimes they are dismissed because people are not uh, setting themselves up appropriately for their lab work, which again, it's dangerous to dismiss these markers if the setup has not been there. So if you don't go in fasted, for example, your lipid panel is going to be off. Your fasted blood glucose is going to be off. Uh, but a lot of people will go faster, but they're not hydrating appropriately. And you will almost, especially as a PED user, you will see those elevations in hemoglobin and hematocrit without the uh, hydration, as well as some of your renal markers. Um, do we typically see some ALT elevations for very heavy lifters? Yes, I will say that's true. How do we prevent that? Don't train the morning of, don't train the day before, and don't hit legs two days before. Yeah. That should result in normal markers right there. So if you don't have the correct setup for drawing your labs, there can definitely be some skewed numbers that would otherwise, you know, be prevented or you have a better oversight on. Uh, a lot of people aren't communicating that, but I think that's why people just say everything's okay. I'm not okay with lipid markers being off. I don't yeah. think your HDL needs to be plummeted at any point in time. I have clients that are 
running an astronomical amount of, of <laughs> products right now and their markers look good. We, we do the correct setup for the labs. I don't think there's a reason for your lab work to come back skewed ever. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. I, I, I appreciate that. Um, and, uh, you mentioned, uh, early on that you are pro PD use. Um, like how do you think about individual choice and like, what is your philosophy? A lot of people think like steroids, PEDs, morally wrong. Like you're an evil person if you do it. You're an evil person if you think about it. Like how do you, how do you think about that philosophically? At the age of 19, I thought pre-workout was a steroid or the equivalent. Yeah. I thought uh, going to a nutrition shop was like buying drugs. So my opinion has changed over the years, clearly. Uh, but realistically, I think a lot of it's um, coming from a place of misunderstanding. I think that there's still going to be that stigma that the only people that use steroids are huge men that are low IQ and all they care about are muscles and they wear wife beaters to the grocery store. And I don't think that stigma has quite gone away. I don't think people realize how prevalent PED use is. And when I say I'm pro PED, that's I'm talking about all PEDs, not just anabolic steroids. You know, we we talk about some of these GLP-1 agonists that are really, really getting popular and are being abused. Those are performance enhancing drugs. They are banned by all of the federations. They're not WADA compliant. So PED is definitely a, a broad umbrella term, but at the end of the day, this kind of feeds into the biohacking trends we're seeing. And most people are just trying to be the best version of themselves that they can be. Obviously you're always going to have people that take it to extremes or do it wrong. But uh, I feel like, you know, we, we should be able to have that choice to enhance ourselves, especially if we can do it in a safer way. Yeah. Yeah. You mentioned um, like, I I completely agree with that. I think it is individual choice. Um, You mentioned uh, like a lot of your clients having great blood work and you've mentioned in the past people getting their blood work improving with even well on. Yes. Um, are PEDs a death sentence? And why, why do you think they're so demonized? Honestly, they can be a death sentence. And that, again, unpopular opinion. Yeah. This is why having your, your lab work and having some of these conversations is so important. Um, are most men good to take testosterone? Yes, I would say that openly. But uh, looking at underlying issues, uh, family history, your own medical history, not everyone's going to be a candidate for certain compounds. Like even when we look at women and assessing their candidacy profile, if you have PCOS and issues with elevated androgens and you already have some virilizing effects from your natural hormonal baseline, maybe we shouldn't give you androgenic compounds. So there's the, you have to have certain framework in place and not having the lifestyle factors under control is what creates a sense of, uh, creates a more dangerous situation. Yeah. Would you say someone who's like eating a healthy diet, doing regular blood work, monitoring blood pressure, um, working out, maintaining a healthy body fat, is that person unhealthier than general population? Um, if they're using PEDs? I would go as far as saying that they are healthier. Yeah. Yeah. I'd I'd agree with that. Um, But obviously very individual. And that's why it's important to work with someone experienced like yourself. Um, What are some of the differences between going back to TRT, TRT for men and TRT for women? 
Huge. Okay. This is, okay. This is a huge one. And the biggest issue that we are seeing is TRTs being pushed on women because as a female, when you put androgens in your body, you feel like Superman, but women and men are going to respond very differently. And the dosages are drastically different. Many men like the aspects and, you know, the, the things that come with more DHT conversion, they get more masculine. A lot of men describe it as a second puberty, their, their faces yeah. and their jaw lines become more chiseled. But the neat thing is that also happens to women. So if you're not looking to transition, you do really have to take a lot of caution for female TRT. Unlike y'all, we have the ability to drastically increase our testosterone naturally. We can mm. get into accidental superphysiological ranges completely naturally. Oh. Our male counterparts do not have that option. So you do have to be really careful. Upwards of like 50% of our own testosterone production is via the adrenals. So compounds like DHEA and boron are incredibly mm. effective for female users. And a lot of people that are maybe using testosterone not being prescribed will dose females like they are just miniature men. Yeah. This is how we end up with permanent virilizing or the masculinizing yeah. effects that you would get from testosterone. Women typically are best started out at three to five milligrams per week. Yeah. And uh, our, our target levels, depending on the situation in an ideal world could be anywhere from 40 to hundred nanograms per deciliter. And hundred is, is stretching it for some people. Interesting. And, and women typically will accompany testosterone with pregnenolone, right? On HRT? Not with, with women, typically not. Oh, okay. uh, with, with males, we sometimes see it. Uh, normally, if you have a woman that's being prescribed TRT, they will also be on peptides. They will also be capitalizing on progesterone. But that's a, a whole other issue because PGE2 ratio should only be taken during certain times through the menstrual cycle. And those conversations are usually not had before prescribing progesterone. Okay. So, so the doctor measure progesterone and it might be taken at the wrong time in the cycle and then they yes. progesterone when they don't really need it. Yes. Got it. So some women are, are fine and safe and healthy to do PRT without progesterone. Yes, absolutely. It's not, it's not a situation where we need to see it paired like with, you know, estrogen. Um, and I, women do great on TRT if they get the dosage correct. I myself am not a candidate for TRT. I can't even use one milligram a week and I need testosterone. I have finally found my sweet spot with 10 milligrams of DHEA. Um, I'm a hyper responder, so I'm not a candidate for a lot of the things that I speak on, unfortunately, but I've also been in a situation to see how my body responds to help other women, you know, prevent them from going into that territory. But what we see is women's levels getting really, really high. They feel great. And it is great until it's not. And then we start seeing decreased insulin sensitivity, uh, weight management becomes more difficult, body fat distribution changes. We get some chin hairs. We maybe have some breast atrophy and the long-term, there's a lot of long-term issues and most of them are permanent. Yeah. Yeah. It's really important. Um, and is progesterone monotherapy a thing for women? It is. Yes. And I I've seen that a lot and sometimes it'll be used in clients just to help with menstrual regularity. But the thing with progesterone therapy is, you know, as a male user, you've seen how it's, it's been a journey learning to manage yeah. your estrogen, find your correct dosage stability. 
progesterone is really tricky for women because you have some women that maybe take it for a week out of the month, two weeks, three weeks, they'll do 21 days and they'll come off seven days for a cycle, or they're on just all 30 and dosages can go from hundred to maybe 250 milligrams. Like when we're talking the orals, it's, it's all over the map. So that can be a six to eight month journey to find your sweet spot with progesterone as a female user. And how do uh, women's TRDT and or progesterone affect fertility? So this is one of the issues that I have. Um, obviously, when now now progesterone can actually be very beneficial, but in terms of taking testosterone, just like any other androgenic compound, it's going to be suppressive to the entire HPO axis. Okay. So, and when we talk about safer female PED use protocols, this is kind of where I guess I would be an outlier in this industry. Everyone wants to put women on TRT or HRT to optimize the baseline before looking into anabolic steroids. But when we are talking people that are highly committed and they're trying to enhance their levels for the purpose of performance, you know, we're looking at long-term use. I don't necessarily feel that a 21-year-old female needs to be on a full HRT protocol for seven years. That's going to be more damaging in the long run versus a six to eight week cycle approach. So fertility is always primary concern with males and females. If they're younger, if they haven't had kids yet, um, fertility is always priority. Okay. Yeah. Is it? Yeah. Got it. So is it like considered safer or smarter to, for an otherwise healthy women to hold off on TRT or HRT until after pregnancy? Unless you are demanding performance enhancing aspects of it, I recommend males and females hold off as long as possible, yeah. realistically. Um, again, not a really popular opinion, but for, for safety purposes and, and long-term health. And again, women are in a different boat. Like Y'all are not going to see a huge difference with these test boosters on the market and natural means, but women can get over a hundred nanograms per deciliter with DHEA alone. Wow. Most women, and of course you don't have the stability aspect. You're still prone to suppression. If you introduce something else, like there's going to be the same issues that we see within clomiphene. Um, It is your natural production, but the fact that you can enhance your levels that much as a female, I don't always think that TRT needs to be the first course of action. Interesting. Um, That's really interesting. And uh, what was I going to say? What a interaction is there with women um, either using PEDs or TRT and like hormonal uh, birth control, either the pill or hormonal IUDs? So obviously in this industry, birth control is widely demonized. I'm with everyone else. I really just like it. I think it's horrible. It's suppressive. And the way they advertise birth controls, it's so great. It's ultra low dose hormone. But the reason why that sounds good on paper is why it's bad in actual practical application because it's suppressive and you're not getting replacement levels. Um, however, I have some really strong opinions on this industry and how they approach birth control. Because at the end of the day, it's always about weighing pros and cons and looking at the individual's situation, no matter what. So which would be more detrimental to a female having less than optimal hormones for getting jacked or an unplanned pregnancy? (laughs) I'm going to go out on a limb and say having a baby you didn't want to have is going to be more detrimental (laughs) long-term. 
So that that's one of my my personal qualms with the way that the industry is going right now is we're we're really demonizing birth control. Obviously, I don't like birth control as a solution in lieu of HRT. And there's actually some really cool things like if you have some suppression, you want to optimize your testosterone on birth control. A lot of combined oral contraceptives are going to drastically increase SHBG. That's something that you can actually bring down naturally. Uh, One of the issues with DHEA as a precursor is you may see a huge spike in your estradiol as a female. That's one of the things we have to look out for. It's not just like this magic solution to boosting testosterone, but in studies where we have the use of COCs and then we bring in DHEA alongside it, you get that increase in testosterone, but you don't have the increase in estradiol with it. So you can definitely still capitalize on your hormones while on them, but I always urge women to make that assessment, which would be a worse situation because most coaches are like, get off the birth control. Yeah. Yeah. Went through something similar with my wife. I won't won't get into it, but yeah, totally understand. Um, Great. Well, DJ, this has been fantastic. Really great to get you on. Um, And I'm sure we'll we'll want to do a part two at some point in the future. How can folks get in touch with you um, if they want to work with you or ask you a question? And I'll have links to everything in the show notes as well. Uh, I'll have my my link tree below, but I'm Coach DJ Vanilla Face, all one word on all platforms. I don't know why that's the name I got. I've stuck with these years, but Coach DJ Vanilla Face. My company is Eminem Training and Nutrition. If you are interested in working with me or one of my other coaches, we do have male coaches as well. Um, and we all kind of work in the, the same specialty fields. Cool. Awesome. Thank you, DJ. Thank you for having me. Thank you for listening to the show. You can find The Scott My Show on Instagram, YouTube, Facebook, and Twitter. Please leave a comment, like, review, or share the podcast with your friends or followers. It helps more people find the show.